was thinking during our Ecclesiastes reading this morning that um, this has the potential to be a pretty depressing few weeks <laughs> in this sermon series. So we need to uh, keep focused on um, things above the sun, as we are wont to say, and not on the, the meaninglessness of things. But we also have to consider it um, today, work above the sun. Urban Meyer, y'all are, many of you hopefully I think are familiar with him. He is coach at um, Tom Gamarini's beloved Ohio State. Used to be coach of um, Tony Graziani's Florida Gators. Won two national championships after the two, I think after the 2006 season, after the 2008 season. And after that second national championship, he took a one-year leave of absence for health reasons, came back, coached another year, and then retired from Florida due to health. Took um, a year, or maybe two, a year or two off, and now he is with Ohio State. This is a man who is at the top of his field. In fact, perhaps at the top of almost every man in America's dream job to coach a college football team. That would be at least a top job of many men. And Urban Meyer was the top of the top, the best in the land. And he was reflecting on that second national championship recently, right before he retired the first time. I was in a panic situation. We just won it. We got to do it again. And I closed the door and I just started recruiting. One of my friends came and said, what are you doing? Enjoy. What's wrong with you, man? Enjoy this. I tried. I tried. The best college football in the, coach in the whole land. He has the best players. I mean, he had coached the Heisman Trophy winner at Florida. And the only thing he could do after he won a national championship was just go back at it. Go back to recruiting. Enjoy it. No. I tried. Is there fulfillment or meaning in Urban Meyer's work? And I don't know. I can't speak for him. And I don't know how he would answer that question. Um, but, but, but it does make you wonder, does it not? Now, tomorrow morning, um, all of us will get up and go to work. Some of us will go and manage other people's money. Other, others of us will um, go out and deal with some of the inner workings of the law. Others of us will punch in at the factory. You'll put on perhaps an apron and go wait tables at a restaurant. Some of us will wake up and prepare the kids for school and rearrange the house after a busy weekend. Some of us are going to get up and go to work at school and get an education. We all have some sort of vocation. Every one of you in this room will go to work of some sort or another tomorrow. We all need to ask this question. What is the point? What is the meaning of all of this? Do we manage other people's money so they can pass it down to the next generation for somebody else to manage? Do we slave away all day on our feet to provide for our kids so they can slave away all day on their feet to provide for their kids? Do we attend to the needs of our family and our home just so one day the kids can get up and leave and go attend to the needs of their family and their home? Do we go to school so we can get into college, so we can get a good job, so we can make lots of money, so we can pay for our kids to go to school and get into college and get a good job and make lots of money? 
Where does it stop? It's an age-old question. What is the point? And Ecclesiastes asks this for us this morning. The preacher, the teacher, he asks, what is the point of all of this toil under the sun? And he comes to the same conclusion that he comes to just about everything else. It's all vanity. It's all meaningless. It's all pointless. See, it's kind of depressing. It appears to me that in our reading this morning, the preacher undermines um, three approaches to work that many of us use to justify and provide meaning to what we do, okay? And so, um, if you want meaning in your work, if you want satisfaction in your work, one thing people often say is, well, you need to have a goal. You need to have a long-term goal in your work. If uh, Stephen Covey would put it this way, um, begin with the end in mind. Where are you going? And that makes sense. And then when you're in the day-to-day menial task and you're wondering what's the point, you look ahead to your goal and you say, oh, that's the point. That's where I'm going. And you can get right back at it. These little things, they add up over time. They might seem pointless now, but just wait. One day I will have achieved my goal. But what does the preacher say about this? Chapter 2, verse 18 to 22. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master over all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So he says, great, have a goal. Have a long-term goal in mind. You know, build up your business. Do hard work so you can have something for in the future. But guess what? You're going to die. And somebody else is going to get all of that that you did, whether it's your income or your business or, or whatever you've built up. And he might be wise, but he might be a fool. Your long-term goal is meaningless. Another thing we often say is that if you want to be satisfied in your work, you've got to be motivated. You have to have proper motiv- motivation. We have to look for a, a driving force behind all that we do. And so we applaud people who reach the top of their profession, who work hard, who have a desire to be the best, who are motivated by the will to succeed and be good at their jobs. Chapter 4, verse 4. Then I saw that all the toil and all the skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. And so even our motivations, at least under the sun, as far as we're concerned and as far as the preacher is concerned, based on what we can see and, and feel and taste and smell and hear, Our motivations are all based on somebody else. We want to be the best, which naturally means we want to be better than everybody else. We're motivated by envy of somebody else is what the preacher is saying. We're always comparing ourselves to others. And there's no meaning in that. It's all vanity. Third thing, and then after it, it gets happier. Just bear with me. Third thing, if we want to be satisfied in our work, we've just got to have the right attitude. Just find a job you love. We say this to our kids all the time, right? You can be whatever you want to be. Do something you love. Do something you enjoy. Don't be driven by money or success, but be driven by um, your gifts and your skills and what you love to do. 
Be happy in your labors and don't worry about success or status, right? Chapter 2, verse 24 to 26. There's nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. For the preacher, okay, remember, he's looking under the sun. He, the, the only conception he has of God is, is, a, is a distant God who orders and arranges our lives. And so he says, yeah, have enjoyment in your work if you can. Good luck. Some people do and some people don't, but it's all arbitrarily assigned by God. The ones he likes, they get to enjoy their jobs, and the ones that he doesn't like, they don't get to enjoy their jobs. But you have no control over that. So yeah, if you can, eat, drink, and be merry and enjoy your toils. But in the end, it's all meaningless, striving after the wind. I think many of you have been there. I mean, this is really, this is sort of the bottom of the barrel, but many of you have been there, and you go to work, and you're thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I here? And maybe you're even stuck time, time and time again, stuck in a job or a vocation, or, or if, you, if you don't have a, um, if you're a, you know, if your job is, is to be at home, you're wondering, why, why am I here when I could be doing these other things? All of us have been there at some point, if we're honest. So why are we constantly striving and seeking meaning in our work and finding such a hard time of that? Well, we've got to go back to Genesis to answer that question. So consider this. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says this. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is before the fall, before the exile. God takes man and eventually he takes woman and he puts them in the garden and he says... You know, work this land, enjoy it, take care of it, find satisfaction in your labor. That's what they're created for, is to work in the garden and to enjoy that and to enjoy the presence of God. But when Adam and Eve fall, when they disobey God, when they turn from Him, everything changes. And so God says to Adam in verse th- chapter 3, verse 19, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken for your dust, and to dust you shall return. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. He talks about the ground that Adam is working. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. All of a sudden, because of our fall, because of our sinfulness, our work is hard. It's distant from God. It's toilsome and burdensome. And and time and time again we think meaningless. Our vocation seems so hard and so difficult because of our distance from God, because we are separated from Him. And so when we look under the sun, as the preacher is doing, and all he can see is this world of striving and meaningless toil, it's very sad. We're always going to come up short because of our sin and our disobedience. And so we need a new view, don't we? A view above the sun where we can take a look at our labors from a pet perspective beyond ourselves. 
And so when we do this, when we peek above the sun, when we see the God who is there, when we read about the God in Scripture, we realize that the God is in the process of making things new. He is redeeming things, that Jesus Christ has come, that he has died for us, that he has forgiven us, he has restored us in a relationship with God, but he has also given purpose and meaning to everything we do. Because that's what we're created for, to work and to love and to serve God. And so when we know Christ, we know meaning and purpose in our work. And so our goals are no longer self-centered. Our goal is to bring glory to God by doing what he created us to do. And some of you are are great at math and numbers and very skilled financially. And God has created you to work and use those gifts. Some of you are very friendly and have great hospitality and love to serve others. and, And God has created you to use those gifts. God has created some of us to stay home, that our goal is to use what God has given us to bring him glory. Our motivation is no longer self-centered, but now it's Christ-centered. We are motivated by the love of Jesus Christ who died for us and forgave us. Our attitude is no longer based on our feelings, whether we feel happy or sad. Our attitude now is based on the joy and thanksgiving because God has died for us we're not always happy we don't always enjoy it but we love god and because of that we are joyful and so the apostle paul can say this in first corinthians be steadfast always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that in the lord your labor is not in vain it's totally different than ecclesiastes right Your labor is not in vain. There's meaning and purpose in what you do. And so bankers, lawyers, mothers, fathers, factory workers, ice cream servers, your work is not in vain. It's for the glory of God. So a couple things to bring home with you. Maybe this is news to you. Maybe you're slogging in what you think is a dead-end job. You're wondering about its purpose and meaning. And just know this. No matter how good your job is, It will never give you purpose and meaning. Your vocation itself can never give you purpose and meaning. Only Jesus Christ can do that. You can have the worst job in the world, but if you did it for the glory of God, it has meaning and it has purpose. But you can't know that until you know Christ, until you know his love and his forgiveness, until you've turned over every square inch of your life to him. And maybe you've heard this before, the second thing. Maybe you take great joy in your vocation, and I'm really thankful for that. Um, It doesn't mean, like I said, that you always like your job, but it does mean that you have joy in it because of the God who's given it to you. But have you considered something more or something greater in what you do, that maybe your work is actually proclaiming the gospel? That the way you work and the way you serve and the way you dedicate your life to God by doing your job well Maybe that's evangelism. And so that the person sitting next to you in the next cubicle over um, sees your joy and they're slogging through and they think their job has no meaning and they just say, what is it about you? Why are you so joyful? This is miserable work. You have an answer. You have faith. You know something that they don't. They're living under the sun and you're living above it. And so I pray, it's my prayer for all of you, that you will find joy and meaning and purpose in your vocation, 
that you won't be stuck here where the preacher is under the sun, but you will see that when we know Jesus Christ, when we look above the sun, that our lives have given, gotten so much more meaning and so much more purpose. That God has you where you are for a reason. And that he wants you to enjoy and find joy in the work he's given you to do. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we, um, if we are honest, we look at our work, our vocations, and we um, can't help but ask you, where, why are we doing this? What is the meaning? What is the purpose? We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your son, Jesus Christ. Not someone or something under the sun, but someone from beyond it who could come into our lives, who can redeem us, and who can redeem our work. And I pray, Lord, that each person in this room will experience the beginning of that redemption, that they would know your love and mercy, and they would find purpose and meaning in the vocation you've given them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.